Hello, audio voyeurs. My name's Chris Gethard. You're listening to beautiful stories from anonymous people. One phone call, one hour, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. All right, everybody, here we go. Another phone call. For all you voyeurs out there who like hearing about other people's lives, this one will be a good one for you. This guy called up and he was going to talk to me about one thing, passports. And it was okay. He would be the first to admit that, I bet. Then it went somewhere else. Went somewhere much deeper, closer to the bone. And religious. He got really, he, this guy comes from a background, a very specific religious background that I've always had questions about, but it's hard to ask those questions from the outside, from an outsider perspective. And this guy allowed me to ask those things in a way where he guided me through it uh, without how I could do that without being offensive or step on toes. And I found it really fascinating. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Also, please pardon the fact that my voice is blown out for this call. The night before we recorded this, I'd been rehearsing with my Smiths cover band that I accidentally started. It's called... uh, Mr. Shankly and the Franklies, I think, is going to be our name. So I had a real scratchy voice because I was screaming Morrissey tunes. That being said, enjoy this fascinating look into a, a specific religious culture that I bet you have always had questions about as well. And thank you, sir, for sharing all those details of your life. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hey, how's it going? This is Chris Gethard. Hey, Chris Gethard. I'm anonymous. Oh, nice to talk to you, anonymous. Okay, you get it going. So, uh, what are you wearing? I'm not. That was, what am I wearing? No, that was a joke. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Chris, I have a story for you about how I made bureaucracy move quickly and didn't lose my job. I don't know if that's the kind of thing you guys talk about on here, but I've got it. Talk about literally anything. I don't. I don't care. I just want right. to hear. What does this mean? You made bureaucracy move quickly and didn't lose your job. There's a lot of layers to that that I enjoy. What is your job? You could have lost. Are we talking governmental bureaucracy? I got questions. You start. You fill it in. Give me this exposition. I want to know. All right. I'll tell you. So, I uh, am a young uh, person. I would say who is trying to get my life together. And one of the things that I decided I had to do was get a passport. Just in case you never know when you're going to go to Mexico or Canada or whatever, want to travel somewhere and it's too late to start the passport process, right? Everybody knows it takes forever to get a passport going. I love this. Can um, I ask a question? So, I'm a, I'm really bad about jumping yes. in and I know you have a story. When you say you never know when you might have to go to Mexico or Canada, is this like just on a trip or there's a little bit of intensity here? Is this like if I need to flee, if I need to get out? Is it more that far? It's mostly the trip, but okay. you never know. I might need to flee. <laughs> okay, fair. So you were saying. So uh, I, y- y- I'm, I'm in the process, right? To get a passport, you call the post office. You get an appointment for like nine months from now. You then have all of that time to get yourself ready, prepare yourself for the thought of being allowed to leave the country. And the only thing you have to do in the meantime is fill out a form and get your passport photos. So I go, I go, I would take a picture of my face with my phone. You know, I've got an iPhone. It's a nice enough camera. I send it to a website. They send me some passport photos. I fill out the form. You'd think I'm all set to get my passport nine months from now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I get an email uh, from my boss and he says, 
we have a project for you in Canada next week. Now I travel for work, so it's not too crazy to get a call from my boss telling me that I have to go somewhere next week. Well, we're in a conundrum. Um, we're in an instant said, conundrum. You, you were factoring nine months. Now you have seven days. Exactly, right? So it is Tuesday. My boss sends me a message and says, hey, you probably need to go to Canada now. Thursday comes around, and I finally get through to him, hey, uh, you need a passport to go to Canada, right? And he goes, I don't think so. I'm like, I think you do. I think you do need a passport <laughs> since that whole uh, 9-11 thing. Yeah. I think you need a passport to get to Canada. Now, can I ask um, a question that's just straight yeah. up mean? Where are you working that your boss is that, that uh, dumb? Because everybody knows <laughs> that. Everybody knows that. I work, I work for a very big company. Okay, yeah. Um, and I and said it, you didn't there. say it. So if your boss ever hears this, you didn't say it. But I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point in U.S. history <laughs> that the lax passport laws in Canada have been, those loopholes have been closed and you need a passport. <laughs> so, so I finally get through to him that I need a passport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I'm, now I'm in this position where I've, I've got to either let everybody down or I need to get a passport. And it's now Thursday and I have to be in Canada on, uh, not Monday, but Tuesday because Monday was Canada day, which is the most fun part about going to work in Canada is they have the best holidays there. Okay. There's nothing we have here. Canada day and, and, uh, boxing day. I don't know. They've got weird holidays. I like it. I bet they say um, our holidays are weird though. Well, you know, Thanksgiving's whatever. weird. If you think about what Thanksgiving is, it's oh, weird. Super weird. Everybody gets together and you all eat a turkey at 3 p.m. That's weird. It's a weird holiday. Yeah, it is. But the Canadians do that too. They just do it a month later. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're working there, you just get to take both days off. Oh, that's good. If you're an American, so you how do you put get your a, American privilege on them. How do you get a passport in like 72 hours? How does this happen? So it turns out there's two ways you can get a passport. You can go to a post office and it takes nine months or you can go to a passport agency. There's 27 passport agencies in the United States. Uh, I happen to live in a city that has two of them. Two of them? One of them, yeah. One of them is for secret government officials only. So you can't get a, you can't get a thing there. For and secret government the other one, officials. So, Wait, how yeah. did you, if it's... <laughs> How did you find out this information if it's only for secret, quote, secret government (laughs) officials? It's on like some of the lists, but not like you go to the list on Wikipedia or whatever. And it's like, there's 27 passport agencies in that in it. And it's there, but you can't, you can't contact them. There's no, it's it's phone number blacked out. Really? Yeah. Wow, so there's a secret passport office in your city. Okay, so there's another one, though. And we're aiming, I assume, for the, the other one that's one, not restricted to government spies. Right, so I call them. The first appointment I can get there, I, say, I get through to a person, and the first postman I can get there is in three weeks. So okay, I'm, still, I'm still out of luck. And the weird thing about this is all over the passport agency's website, it says, hey, uh, you can't get a passport in less than three weeks. You can't do it. But if you need a passport in less than two weeks, go to one of these agencies. Weird. So I kind of knew like there might be a way to do it. So I, I'm going to say this. I I'm going to say this. I, in yeah. general, this is a comedic podcast, but I really think this one has the potential to bust out amongst people who need to know how to get a quick passport. This could become. <laughs> this could be. This could have a second audience. This could have a whole second life 
amongst passport fans or pa- the passport <laughs> needy among us. This is also reminding me that I need to renew my passport. So thank you for that. <laughs> you can always count on me to bring the, the, the paperwork to a comedy podcast. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's why I call it. Chris. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for bringing the wonderful world of frustrating red tape to, to my comedy podcast. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you can't hang up on me, so I'm going to finish the story, Chris. I can't. I'm going to sit here and listen to your passport travels. And again, <laughs> I cannot hang up. Am I going to say that this is the most titillating uh, story? No. Is it? Is it more exciting than I thought a passport-driven story was going to be? Yes, I'll give you that. I'll take that. You're selling this passport thing better than most people think a passport-driven <laughs> story is going to go, though. So, yeah, I can't hang up. You're right. Thanks for calling me on it. We can get as technical as you want, and there ain't nothing I can do about it. <laughs> Chris, if you lambast me enough, I'll drop off in the middle of the story and you will not be able to use my passport oh my story God. on your podcast. If you get us right up to the point where we, you're about to get this passport and right before you tell people <laughs> how you hang up, you will blue ball. Because I bet there are – and you tell me, you tell me from, uh, from going through it. I bet there's a lot of message boards and a lot of internet posts from people who are like, how do I do it? And you're about to tell the world how. Are there frustrated uh-huh. people out there who were not able to figure out what you figured out? Tell me yes or no. Absolutely. Yeah, Chris, I'm giving away all the secrets of the passport agency here. The secret government, the liter- what, literati, illuminati of, uh, of passport situation. And you're I'm, telling, I'm giving and away you're, all of their secrets. And you're telling me that if I, uh, if, I, if, I, if I mess with you enough about you doing a passport, a red tape story in my podcast, you're telling me you'll hang up before the world can know. I will. So there's frustrated passports in my hand. You do. You have all the power. You're the first caller to ever realize this. (laughs) You are the first caller to ever manipulate it in this way. Most people just want a full hour because they're needy narcissists who want the full hour. But you are the first person. That's not true. All the other callers you have called so far are great, wonderful, giving people willing to share of themselves. And that's awesome. That being said, not one person has hung up. They take it right down to the last second. You're the first person to milk the fact that you have all the power and I truly have none. Well done. Chris, if you, if you make fun of me enough here, I'll hang up and the entire Passport subreddit will be mad at you. There's a subreddit? They won't get this story. Is there a whole subreddit? I've, I've got to assume there is, right? Oh, you're, it's not something you went through in your own quest, but we're just assuming based on the nature of Reddit that there is a Passport. Can we please look up? Chris. We are currently looking up. Yeah. John, John and Greta are in the booth looking for a, a Passport subreddit. <laughs> so there's been a lot of passport questions in the uh, re- sub the travel subreddit, but I think oh and yeah there's there are a lot of Reddit posts about what's the best way to get a passport. So it is a thing that exists. And then, did we find it? Yes, there is a Reddit.com/r/passports. You did that is true. All 25 of the people subscribed to it will be furious with me if I make fun of you too much. Well, if you don't make fun of me, then maybe your podcast will get like a big boost because you get to the top of that passport. That is what I am thinking is that the passport community (laughs) is going to rally around Gethard on this one if I play my cards right. So we have a secret office. You're not even going to attempt that. We have another office and you're fine. I can't. There's no way to. The other office, I call them. I get an appointment in three weeks. So I say I'm out of luck. There's nothing I can do here. So I look at the list of, of passport offices. And there's actually one in a nearby city about three hours from me. Um, and it's a bit of a smaller. So I say, well, you know what? Let me try. Let me just try and see if I can get. So I call them and they've got an appointment for like Monday. Okay, Still can not going to work. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question about your psychology? Yeah. 
How much of this is yeah. that your job is in actual jeopardy? Like, where, how much is it like they turn to you and they're like, you didn't have a passport? You're in trouble. And how much of this has now become a game about you beating the system? Oh, easily 50-50. Yeah. 50-50. So. Definitely, I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to disappoint my boss. But, oh, man, did I want to figure out a way to get a passport and right you, away. I, and, I, I definitely found it a challenge. And just so I know the stakes here, do you, honest, you think there was a chance you could have lost your job over this if you didn't have a passport? You know, yes. In hindsight, definitely. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're gaming uh-huh. the system. You need to game the system in order to keep your own uh, head off, off out of the guillotine at work. Yes, I like exactly. It. We have found really high stakes for a... Passport-driven story, definitely. <laughs> this is the heaviest paper. It's paperwork with, a, with an edge. It feels like um, a, uh, we're talking about you getting a passport, and we've managed to make it sound like the born ultimatum. <laughs> so so I, I, I pick up my, uh, my shoe phone, and I called customer <laughs> service. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that, Chris. Thank you, yes. Yeah, secret I agent jokes. customer agent. service <laughs> in, in this other nearby city. And I say, listen, I, and my job is on the line here. I'm sure you get this all the time, but I really, really need a passport right now. Uh, is there anything I can do? And the, the nice lady on the phone just goes, oh, yeah, just call. Just keep calling. People cancel all the time. Just keep calling. Mm. So I sat there for an hour calling back, getting through the phone every single time. And then the automated system gives you the earliest open appointment or whatever. Uh, I keep calling and calling and calling. And finally, around 6 p.m. Thursday night, I get through to a 9 a.m. the next day appointment in a town three hours over. Wow. So now it's 6 p.m. and I need to get the paperwork you need for a passport in order. And one of the things you need for an expedited passport is proof that you need to travel. So I either needed a signed letter from my boss uh-huh. or I needed an itinerary. I needed to have already bought tickets. Right. Um, so I call my boss and I go and I, you know, I live about half an hour from my office. He lives about half an hour from the office and it's, so he probably, he probably lives on the other side for me. So he's about an hour from where I am. And I call him and I go, Hey, I either need like a signed paper from you saying I need to travel or I need to just buy these plane tickets right now. And he goes, buy the tickets. So I buy the tickets. So I've got these flight, you know, I've got, I, I print out the tickets in any way I can imagine mm-hmm. all the permutations. I, mm-hmm. I, I dig around for, for proof of everything, for proof of where I live, for all of this stuff. And then I find that I need proof of citizenship and I don't have my birth certificate. You don't have so a birth certificate. I, a huge, because <laughs> let's, let's talk about the dramatic arc of this experience. <laughs> so we have rising action. We had a, uh, we were teasing resolution. And then like all good screenplays, there is an obstacle in your path. Another monkey wrench that no one saw coming. This is you heading into the valley <laughs> of despair. So it's this is like your Empire Strikes Back stretch where you're like, oh, I was yeah. so close, and now now the downfall. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, I'm, so why the fuck don't you story, have a birth I mean, certificate? <laughs> I don't know. I thought I had one. I just realized I don't know I have if all I my have other mine. Documents. My mom has mine somewhere. <laughs> I called my mom and I was like, Can you, do you have, do you have it? Cause if you don't, I am lost somewhere. She didn't have it, but I couldn't find it. So it's just, someone has it in the, so somewhere in the world. You're a man. Somebody held, has my you're a man held captive by a country, a man with no past. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's bad. Let's do it. It was real bad. 
So I, I found, I had an old expired passport from when I was like 10 years old. <laughs> and so I was like, well, guess this is going to have to do for proof of, of citizenship. You have, a, um, you have a document with a picture of a child on it that you can, you can show. <laughs> That's what you can show them. Are you, do you so resemble this thing. photo in any way? I like to think not because I didn't look too good at 10, but, but (laughs) you might be able to pick, pick me out in that, in that 10 year old picture. Where did you go? Where where did you go when you were 10? Where did, what did you need a passport for when you were 10? Um, I, I'm a, I'm from a Jewish family. So my parents went, took me to Israel. Oh, nice. We did the old, uh, pilgrimage. Yeah. Was it birthright? Birthright's when you're a teenager, right? Birthright's when you're a teenager. Yeah. Birthright. Um, yeah, and I then there's a new cool. one they do now where married couples go, which is a little creepy, but I'm going to apply. Oh, so you're married? Yes. And what's the yeah. goal? Are they trying to get the you to move detail. back to Israel on that? I just think they want you to be a little, like a little more Jewish. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. that's, that's always the, uh, the thing with these, is they're kind of just trying to make you be like, you like that you're Jewish, right? You like <laughs> other Jews, right? Yeah, that's Instead pretty cool. Instead of what everybody's instinct is, is like, yeah, I, I belong to the most... Like the Hufflepuff of religions is, so it's not, is what Judaism is. Like I always assume that it was. Uh, I always assume that birthright was to try to get people to come live in Israel and embrace embrace their Jewish heritage in a way that made them citizens who contribute to Israeli society and culture. But you're saying the goal is to make them quote everybody a little more Jewish. <laughs> I think so. Wow. I don't know. Maybe okay. it's both. Okay. It might be some of both. Okay, I'm interested, and I hope I didn't just say something terrifically ignorant. But I just found your phrasing <laughs> no. really, uh, really interesting. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you like, are you orthodox? Are you an orthodox guy? I'm not, but I grew up orthodox. Well, you grew up very orthodox and then you walked away from it. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I used to have a black hat and all that stuff. You did? You wore the hat? Are your, is your yeah, family still orthodox? Did you all years. shift away or did you yeah. break away from the family? Just me. Yeah. Ooh, so that's a thing. It didn't go over well. Yeah. I tell you, I got married in 2014 at a summer camp, at a Jewish summer camp. We rented it in the off season, and it was really, really? great. It was great. It was beautiful. My wife entered on a zip line because she's badass. We didn't know. <laughs> that is so cool. It was cool, but they didn't tell us. It was really, they were very, very strict about kosher law, and we weren't totally clear on that when we, uh, like, we were pretty deep into the <laughs> process. We put a deposit down. We were, Invitations had gone out, and it became clear that it was very, very, um, kosher, and I'll tell you, two people yeah. who did not grow up understanding orthodox level kosher <laughs> law, it is hard to plan a wedding out of a kosher kitchen when you did not grow up with it and when people are taking it very seriously. Can I ask you which uh, summer camp it was? It was in upstate New York. It was in Copic. It's beautiful. It's called Camp Berkshire Hills Eisenberg. It used to be called Camp Berkshire Hills Emanuel, but I think someone named Eisenberg like really dropped a big... <laughs> Um, like a big contribution and got naming rights. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, it was beautiful. All you got to do to get a summer camp named after you is, is donate more than the last person did. Now, uh, here, that, do you think I could, do you think they would allow <laughs> a person who grew up Catholic with a strange semi-German feeling last name, <laughs> Gether, do you think if I dropped a coin, there's no way I could get a summer camp named after myself, right? Because that would become I a life goal. I bet you could. Wow. Now, <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. And this is a phrase that I've been told. A, very, a friend of mine who's, uh, who grew up very orthodox told me this is a well-known phrase. And uh, I think it may be offensive. But he, <laughs> he told me that we were dealing with people known in the Jewish community as lettuce checkers. Is that a phrase you're familiar with? <laughs> 
Yep. Yeah. I know that phrase. That is a yeah, hard. Well, I've never heard the phrase, but but uh, I know exactly who you're talking about, and uh, I can tell you why the why that phrase is the way it is, the way it is too. It's, I want to talk about that, <laughs> and I like that you left that hard because my friend okay. told me there are people known. These are the the. We'll talk about it, but the basics, if I understand it, is you cannot mix meat with milk, and there's some there is a level, yeah. there is a a noted level of of devotion to kosher law where lettuce is checked during a dairy meal because if any bug touches the lettuce, all the salad is thrown out because that constitutes meat and it cannot be mixed with dairy. That's like ninety five percent there. You you the, it's that's why you can't do it is because you're looking for bugs. But bugs are actually just not kosher at all, ever. They don't oh. even count as meat. You just so can't eat bugs. Any Except meal. for one type of locust. You can eat That's one a, type <laughs> of locust. Why can you eat one type but, of locust? But they don't know which one it is. Hey, if you're going to start asking why, that's a whole different question. Wow. Okay. And is that part of why you walked away? A lot of questioning? No, I walked away because I didn't believe in God. Okay. Wow. That must have been a hard break from your family. <laughs> I want to talk more about yeah, that. They were not pleased. Can I tell you another aspect of my wedding that it sounds like you are uh, you might be acquainted with? And I will tell sure, you, yeah, I do. I'm going to full disclosure. I do a stand up bit about this aspect of my wedding. Um, so people have seen me perform live. Maybe like, oh, he's mining his material, but it came up organically. And when I do my stand up bit, I I talk about a certain type of wine that they required us to have. And nobody's ever heard of it. And I'm a comedian in New York. There are many Jewish members in my audiences. And it's very rare. I would say like one out of every six or seven times have people even heard of this wine. Do you know what kind of wine I'm speaking of? Okay. So there's a couple of options here. Wow. Um, but the, the word, I'm, I'm going to throw the word mavushal out there. You does know it. ring now, a bell? This, it does yeah. ring a bell. And, and, and tell me if I'm being ignorant. The fact that you know about this wine signifies that you were you did grow up truly orthodox because what I have found is my reform oh, yeah. fri- my reform friends generally have not even heard of this wine and they are Jewish. Yeah, no, this is a it's a very orthodox specific thing. Now, can as you far as explain can you explain Mavushal wine? Cuz I feel like coming from yeah. you, you can probably say certain things about the um <laughs> the reputation of this wine's quality and drinkability that might be ignorant coming from someone who's not of the culture. Maybe you can explain this wine and maybe we can then discuss. I, again, I researched it and I can tell you, you can, I'll, you can tell me what percentage I am right and then correct me. Okay. This seems like a good time. To take a quick break. We're going to be right back with the conversation. It'll just be after this. Do you love books, but you find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks, listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. The gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free. It works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own the books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like this book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. A lot of titles on there. i tell you one guy I like is Philip Roth. That's a popular, uh, it really, really uh, went out on a limb there, Gethard, picked a Pulitzer Prize winner. But I'll tell you, Goodbye Columbus. You read Goodbye Columbus, you'll have a, that's about the area where I grew up, and he nails it. You'll have a real image of how I wound up as not confident 
as I am. And just for listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash CG, like Chris Gethard. You get it. Audible.com slash CG. Start your free trial today. Again, show your support for beautiful stories from anonymous people. Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash CG. Okay, enough of that. Let's get back to the call. Well, first I want want you to tell me. How is this wine regarded? Okay, so I, I can't really tell you how it's regarded because I don't know anything about wine. Fair. Most of my wine drinking associates are older family members who are Orthodox Jews. Fair. So they're coming from a Mavushal only. My understanding of Mavushal wine is that it is boiled yeah. during preparation. And it is done that way because it's a ritual that allows non-Jewish people to handle and pour the wine and it remains kosher. Because apparently in a technical sense, one of the kosher laws that a lot of the more lax divisions of, of, of the Jewish faith have, have relaxed with is that apparently if wine is handled, if kosher wine is handled by someone who's not Jewish, it is no longer kosher. If they touch the bottle, pour it, can't drink it, it's not kosher. And what I've read, if I remember right, is that this is because many, many centuries ago when the Jewish people were actually a tribe. They were interacting with other tribes, and a lot of those other tribes were pagan, and a lot of those pagan tribes used wine as part of their ceremonies. So if you allowed someone who might be pagan, who might corrupt the wine to handle your wine, you were, there was a chance that you were using wine that was somehow used or tainted in a way that was an intentional affront to God. That is my understanding of it. Am I correct? You are, are once again, 95% correct. Let's talk me through that other 5%. That 5% is that you said people who aren't Jewish handle that wine. I can tell you as someone who is not religious and who associates with religious people who are paying attention, uh, if you are not religious and handle non-Mavushal wine, a, non, a, 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 set of, a set of people won't drink it. Wow. So there are people in my life who if I mess with their wine, it's garbage. these are people who will buy the non-Mavushal stuff, but then they're like careful to handle it only themselves. If I mess it, like if I pick it up, pick up that bottle, technically they won't drink it. Wow. Anymore. And is that any it's, level yeah. of, is that any level of devotion? Less, like, is it with conservative? Is it with reform? What level of religious do you have to be for people to relax? That's a really good question. I don't know. So you're saying that like when so it's you. It's probably people who have to keep kosher, but I don't know. I don't know the, the line. Do you have, so do you have relatives that when you visit them, they put out the Mavushal wine so there's not an issue there? Yes, I do. Wow. Or at least they are, they are, well, they're like, it's not even that. They're, it's almost worse than that because they're like very much like they put it out, but they're like talking amongst themselves and they don't want to like be rude to me, but they're like, oh, we, we don't let him touch this one basically. Wow. So there's, and do you feel like there's some of that is like, people maybe trying to stick it to you a little bit that you outcasted yourself in a way? Is that sort of like, you could, why don't you go ahead and drink this like less, less high quality <laughs> wine? We put it out for you because you are not one of us anymore. Do you feel like there's people maybe trying to make a point at times? I mean, maybe. These people are mostly just trying to drink their good wine and don't want me to ruin it by making them not allowed to drink it, I think. So would you say there's disappointment among your family and your community but not necessarily aggression towards you for your choices. Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Because I'll tell part. you this. I started buying this Mavushal wine. You can, like, yeah. you can find, I live in New York, so, you know, very 
thriving um, Jewish community. So you can find Mavushal mm. wine, but it's also so expensive. It's like fifteen to twenty dollars a bottle. In a wedding, you want cheaper wine than that. What part of the goal of a wedding? Oh yeah, a DIY wedding. One of the major things you will find on all the wedding forums is you're trying to find good wine that's also cheap. And I actually found good cheap kosher wine. And I was about to order like three hundred bottles of it. We had two hundred people at our wedding. I'm about to order hundreds of bottles. Camp's like, no, you need Mavushal. And even the guy who ran the camp was like. It's uh, really expensive, and no one, no one really likes it, so good luck. <laughs> so I had to start ordering cheap Mavushal wines at a, am I allowed to say websites? I don't know. Uh, kosherwines.com. I am a lapsed Catholic who's now yeah. deep. Re- my wedding in the months prior, <laughs> I, one of the major stressful things for me was being a, a boy who grew up Catholic who has also been sober for now 15 years. <laughs> deeply researching a wine that is notoriously regarded as not high quality to try to drink it and then having to order bottles so that my friends who do drink could just consistently tell me that it was actually it would be it would be horrible <laughs> to serve at my wedding. So that being said, kosherwines.com, if you're out there, you're listening, that's a plug. And if you guys want to get on board, you did me right. You had many options. I did eventually find some very high quality Mavushal wines and kosherwines.com. I think you and I, we set up a sponsorship relationship. I'd be happy to spread the words of, of, <laughs> of all the great Mavushal options kosherwines.com has. But, you know, we got to get on board and make it a business relationship at some point. I like, I find this really fascinating. So it must have been very hard for you to walk away from this, uh, from this religion. Yeah, you know, it was it was hard, like socially with with the family and everything, you know, mm-hmm. and like my my social life was built around it too at the time when I was leaving it. So it was sort of I had to find the small group of people who were moving the same direction as I was around the same time as I was, basically. Wow. And luckily there were a few of those, and those are still kind of my best friends. And it was hard for all those people. So there were other people who were questioning, who came from similar families, and you guys had to link up, find a community amongst much, yourselves. Yeah. Now, can I ask you something? Yeah. For someone who didn't, I, I grew up Catholic. I mean, my grandparents were from Ireland, Catholicism. We went to church every week, but my father wasn't very particularly religious when I grew up. It was sort of a cultural factor in my life. I think probably equates more to what I would, what I sense from the outside. It seems more like what reform members of the, uh, it's reform, not reformed, correct? Correct. Re- reform. Yeah, what reform members of the Jewish community, it seems like that was more the level of like, it was a piece of my culture that I understood, that I was taught, and then it was up to me to sort of see how much I want to buy in. Um, my question is, for those of us who are non-religious, how would you quit? It sounds to me, again, another experience that um, I don't, I don't want to be insensitive. It sounds almost like, like what, what some friends of mine who have come out of the closet say of like, kind of isolate oh, yeah. yourself, cut yourself off, and then have to find a community of people who identify with this thing that has sort of branded you an outsider. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to belittle the experience of people who have to like LGBT people because they this discrimination against them is a lot worse now than Absolutely. discrimination against Jewish people. Um, there's a very little bit of discrimination against Jewish people, and it's there, but I, I certainly say- don't feel like oppressed. Definitely not. I mean, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in a town that had a large Jewish community. Now I live in New York. And I would say say that the sense I get is that that's correct. But it's also, it's surprisingly more pronounced than you think. Yeah, that's true too. I have run into things where I was like, this real? It seems like like when it comes up, it's brutal. Am I a minority right now? It seems like that's what it is. I feel like it's definitely less widespread 
But it seems like when it comes yeah. up, it is surprisingly brutal. Whenever you hear someone who is anti-Semitic yeah. get going, it's like, what decade are you living in, man? What <laughs> is going on right now? Um, so it is, it is a thing that I really respect the experience, and I understand that it can be very, uh, it can be very, uh, it can be pronounced. Yeah. So tell me. So, so. I'll tell a quick, a very short, like a thirty-second anti-Semitism story, mm-hmm. which is that my dad paid a, a bunch of guys to uh, build a fence uh, around our yard. Um, which also sounds like a biblical story, but it's not. We just needed to build a fence. And um, uh, this guy comes up and he saw like the, the mezuzah on the door, which is a little thing on the door frame that indicates, you know, it's a thing that Jewish people do. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, the guy says to my dad, he's like, oh, so are you guys are Jewish? And my dad goes, yeah. And the guy goes, huh, so you killed Jesus. Whoa. He just comes out of the gate with it. <laughs> yeah. This is the starting yeah, right point. There. Of the- like first thing. Does your yep. dad still employ yeah, him? Yeah, so to be like, well, that was the Romans, you know, what'd you say? Does your dad still employ him after that point? Yeah. What are you going to do? Send the guy away? Get like a different fence company? That I don't is, know. Yeah, he did. He went through with it. That is nice of your father, for sure. That's uh, really incredible. Yeah. So so what, what, you walk me back. You were asking me about um, the experience of leaving the faith. Yes. Walk me through that because um, that's something, yeah. that, that's something that most people don't go through. And also... It's, uh, I also feel like coming from a Catholic background, it's, I think, standard at this point to lapse. I think like it's almost expected <laughs> that people will lapse, at least for a portion of their lives. And it's almost, to me, like, being someone of, Catholic, of a Catholic faith, it's almost, at this point, stranger in my mid-30s life to find someone who's still really into being Catholic. It seems like it, that's almo- yeah. it's almost weirder to stay devoted into your 30s at this point in my life and the circles I run with. So tell me what it's like to leave that faith. Tell me what it's like for, uh, for all that. Well, it was like a big relief, mostly. Uh, so the thing is, like, you've got the community aspect of it, which is, which is wonderful. And I, I, will, I will continue to, I mean, it, I was in college when this all was happening, and I would still go to like the Sabbath dinners at the, at the Chabad, like Hasidic uh, house, you know, like I was still friends with all those people. I still loved the community. The community is phenomenal. And that was the part that to the degree to which I lost it was a shame to lose. The part that was hard was getting my family to be okay with it because they were real unhappy. And other than that, it was pretty chill, man. It was like, I could finally eat like all this stuff I wasn't allowed to eat before. You Tell know, me what I didn't that's to, like, like. What's the first time? Yeah. What's what's the, like the first time you go to a buffet and there's just a big thing of shrimp? <laughs> there's just shellfish. Yeah, shrimp was was wild. Tell me what this is like. The first the first time you bite into bacon must be insane. Oh yeah, that bacon bacon was. Talk so, me through okay, it. Talk the me first time it. I ever didn't eat kosher was I was in I went to boarding school for a couple of years actually to a yeshiva, um, in high school, wow. and um. The first time I ever ate something that wasn't kosher was in an airport Auntie Anne's. Uh, I got a pretzel <laughs> hot dog, and I picked the thing up, and there were there were there were people from my school there in the airport with me, and they couldn't see. So I took the pretzel into the bathroom. So this is before you left the faith. This is before you left the faith. This is like an experiment. Yeah. So you're yeah, telling me, basically, you're telling me that the first time <laughs> you broke kosher, uh, well, is that the is that a phrase? I just equated it with the straight yeah. edge movement of broke the edge. No, it broke kosher. The first <laughs> time you broke kosher yeah. was buying an Auntie Anne's pretzel dog and eating it in a public restroom. Perhaps 
the worst circumstance to experience something <laughs> exciting and new. Yeah. And yeah, did it, it was, did it, it blow your mind? Real sad. Yeah, it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> it really. And did, was there some you know, part of you that kosher hot dogs? For sure. Oh yeah, that's true. They're that's good. true. So that's like a baby <laughs> step. They are good, and and uh, some of yeah. those brands are actually better, um, just because of the yeah. level of quality. Um, so you're like okay with it, okay with it. What's the food? What's the food that when you ate it, you were like, holy shit? What's the I'll one? I'll say that the food, the the big one where I was like, I am a food guy now. Like I love this. This is my new thing. <clears throat> I woke up late on a Sunday morning. Uh, for breakfast, I walked over to a five guys burger and fries. Uh, you, maybe you can get them to pull out, to sponsor this thing. Five guys. And step bought, up, baby. You got peanuts. You got a big <laughs> trough of peanuts. It's weird, but I like it. Five guys. Let's get this going. You contact a, midroll. You contact your wolf. We get this going. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. I bought a cheeseburger and fries Ooh, and cheeseburger. I sat there in the five guys and ate it. Yeah. And I was like, that was delicious. That was really good. Not a bacon cheeseburger. You started. You, you went. You, you didn't take it the full. You didn't. You didn't. Yeah, take it the full I'm trying to wonder why I did that. That's I okay. don't know. Can I ask you another thing about yeah. my wedding? This is something I felt really bad about yeah. for like a year and a half. So yeah. my buddy Keith, um, he's. I do this show, the Chris Gethard show. He plays a guy named Banana Man on the show. Real good dude. Real good friend of mine. Reform, um, but I think he grew up a little more. Uh, conservative than he currently, you know, he lives in uh, he lives in uh, Cobble Hill. He rides a skateboard. He's like, uh, he's he's a uh, he's a New York Reform member of the faith, I believe. I don't want to speak for him, but that's sure. that's what I believe. Um, very relaxed dude. And I was telling him about our experience with the wedding, and I said, you know, like it's very hard to navigate because I don't want to offend anybody, and uh, I it's I just don't know these laws. And not only do I not know the laws, but a lot of my friends don't know the laws this deeply. And I constantly feel like I'm making people nervous by like asking questions and and uh, and not knowing it. And he was like, "You know what you need?" And I'm like, "What's that?" And he goes, "You just need a couple Shabbos goy." And I was like, "What? <laughs> what is a Shabbos goy?" And he explained to me that in some communities that follow strict kosher law, there will be a non-Jewish person in the neighborhood who is known as the person that like. If you need to use your elevator, this person will come push the button. You need to use your car, they'll come start the car for you. They will operate mach- machinery on the Sabbath and, and do certain things that um, it's not okay for people to do. Yeah. And he said it. He was like, it's a real, he goes, yeah, he's like, it's a really common thing, this and that. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll check into it. So the dude who was like our liaison at this camp, I emailed him about a bunch of stuff. And it was like, oh, we're going to do this. And <laughs> this is some of the timeline stuff. And here's like some of the stuff about lodging. And, and then I go, oh, and also uh, a friend of mine told me that with a lot of the, a lot of the difficulties we're having with planning the menu, and, and we had been dealing with it. And this guy was very, very gracious. He was like really trying to help with the... Uh, with the wedding, he was really trying to help walk us through a lot of the stuff. I was like, you know, with a lot of the stress surrounding the menu, a friend of mine uh, mentioned that one solution might be to have a few Shabbos goy. And, um, you know, there, there would definitely be people at our wedding who I think would be really happy to help out and, and just kind of be on standby for anything that's necessary. And the guy answered the email and just he addressed every other thing. And then he, address, he never brought that up. He didn't mention it. <laughs> and I said that to Keith, and Keith was like, I should have told you, you you are not allowed to use that phrase. 
And I was like, did you just walk me into saying something horrifically offensive to this guy who's helping us? And he was like, he was like, honestly, you should have maybe just had me call. And I think, cause, and he said, he's like, he was like, it's not, it's not outright offensive, but he was like, what happens in the Orthodox community is there are all these methods by which people maybe manage to skirt the law a little bit. And it's a standard thing, but they do not like a person who's not in the culture addressing <laughs> it. He was like, it really rubs people the wrong way that you, some some hipster with glasses who lives in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, would be like, Shabbos Goy. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like recognizing an aspect of the culture that is – that shows some some cracks that they don't want you addressing. Is that true? Did I offend? Yeah, it definitely is. Did I offend someone it, pretty it, bad like, there? It, I don't think you offended anybody too bad. Um, uh, I mean, you the know, guy didn't it, answer. It's, it's like, I never brought it up. It's like I don't know. It depends how how like or if he's like really really religious, then it might be like he's like, oh, we don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's beneath. That's like not really. That's like. Slightly less religious people do that. We don't do that. Um, but the other thing is, like, I mean, maybe I'm not understanding the context too much, but, like, you know, if you need somebody who you can just, like, ask your, like, Jewish questions that you don't know the answer to, that's a little different than, like, the Shabbos going thing. Because if you're just asking questions or, like, trying to get around because was your wedding on a Saturday? It was. So there was a lot of yeah, so there, there was a lot go. of talk yeah. of like so. maybe we could prepare the food the night before and then have it all set up and then maybe our Shabbos goy friends could actually turn on the ovens a couple of hours early so that the meal could be served at a normal meal time. Maybe our Shabbos goy could turn on the coffee machines so that the coffee can be served inside the dining hall rather than have everybody eat breakfast in the kosher dining hall and have to drink coffee only outside. People like coffee at breakfast. There was some talk of having some Shabbos going, maybe operate some actual machinery. So the other thing is there's rules about, with kosher kitchens, there's rules about, like, who starts the fire. Yeah. Same with, like, the Mabushal wine thing. This, and this goes back, so like, this goes back actually thousands yeah. of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, and I will say, I will say this: despite the fact that this was like a sort of hilariously frustrating logistical issue in my life, <laughs> I actually came to really deeply respect it and deeply see the value in it because a, um, there it, it is reaching back. It's traditions that have existed for thousands of years, and it's actually really beautiful. And everything that was explained to us, a lot of it was explained in that context. Context, and I found it really. Really beautiful, and uh, and actually, I would say a lot of the food, especially the vegetarian food, wound up being pretty good because it is prepared with a lot oh, of yeah. care and thought. I'll say that's the one thing that made me sort of like think about sticking with, like the one reason where I was like, maybe this religion is the good one, and I should stick with it, is yeah. how like old and tradition. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know of any other religion. And and certainly they tell you this in Jewish day school because they want you to respect it a lot. But I don't know of any other religion that has that much like heft to it. That is that old. I mean, Christianity in in another like in in a, in a very slightly different world, Christianity is just like a type of Judaism, right? It all it's all the same traditions. It's all the same people. Right. And like you know, people disagreed along the way, and then Islam also disagreed along the way. But you know, all the way back. All, all of those traditions come from Judaism. And that's like the one part of it that I was like, hey, that's kind of like, that's, that's pretty cool. 
You know, yeah. that's, that has some le- like legitimacy to it. And I think that's fair about Christianity. I always got the sense that historically, this is like a very, uh, you know, glib description of it, but I always felt like at its core level, a lot of it was Judaism where they were like, yeah, you know what? Like, well, we have these saints. So if you want to keep worshiping sun gods, why don't we just call him a saint? And then he's a friend. He's just friends with Jesus. And also you don't, <laughs> you don't have to wear a hat and you could eat lobster if you feel like it. Seems like it just was yeah. like a relaxed, accommodating Judaism in its earliest days. Totally. So let me that's, ask you, what that's was the funny thing too? I was go yeah, for go it. Ahead. No, what's the funny thing? Well, it was just that uh, some of like the Jewish holidays and stuff like that. There's like theories that they are modified versions of pagan holidays, mm-hmm. and you know, from people who don't believe in the religion, they say, "See, it just absorbed this other pagan holiday." Mm-hmm. From people who do believe in the religion, they say, "Ah, see, God was thinking ahead." he made all these Jewish holidays that people could use instead of their pagan holidays. Right. Same reason for like why, why Hanukkah is such a big deal now. Like Hanukkah is not a big holiday with Jews, except it is now because it's our Christmas. Right. Right. So, you know, maybe, maybe 3000 years ago, like the, the summer solstice was a big deal for everyone. So the Jews were like, well, we've got one now too, you know? Yeah. And it sort of uh, adapted those things. Yeah. So what was the, was it, what was the most troublesome part of leaving the faith? Was it, uh, was it dealing with your parents? Was it dealing with your community? Yeah. The parents, your parents, were, they were heartbroken. They were heartbroken and they, you know, they drew an interesting line with the degree to which they wanted to disallow me from doing it. They couldn't really, cause I didn't live in the house anymore, but you know, they were helping me out in college and they didn't just cut me off and hang me out to dry, but they did change things a little bit. They made it very clear and tangible that uh, they were not going to support my new lifestyle. And here's what's changing because of that. You know, they, they um, changed the way that they, they helped me out. And look, I, I still had the luck of, and, and they, they were still good enough to help me through college. Financially, but, you know, it was financially. Yeah. But, but let's just say there was bookkeeping came into it at a certain point And, and I, I, there's a lot more accountability. Money There's a lot more accountability on your end. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. I believe, did but, you mention you were married? Yes. Are you married to a Jewish person? She is, she is the same story as me. She is Jewish, but not religious anymore. And is there, a, par- is there, a, is there a part of your parents that is like, okay, we thank God. Well, at least we'll take what we can get. Yeah. Like, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Was there that a is, huge yeah, fear that, that your, was there a huge fear that your parents were like, "Oh God, you are just going to go start dating all sorts of atheists and Christians"? I'm sure there was a fear on their part, and it's just and honestly, it's dumb luck. I, you know, that I met this, you know, this girl, <laughs> uh, like, and it just happened. But that's, you know, that's part of why we got along is because we had like a similar background and all that. Um, that's, but uh, yeah, they, my parents really dodged a bullet on that one. I think. So, and have they ever joked about that or is there no joking about this? No, but they're not the kind of people who joke about serious things like that. Ever. Yeah. But you think in their hearts they yeah. were like, well, at least blood-wise, at least actual blood-wise, their, yeah. their children <laughs> will be salvageable and redeemable under, yeah, under the culture sure. in which we operate. Wow. Do you have any kids? Yeah. You do? No, no kids. Oh, no kids? No, not yet. Are you planning on it? Yeah, probably. Do you think your parents are going to try to step in and say like, hey, why don't we uh, get back on track with this next generation? Are you anticipating that? I don't think so. I don't think they 
you know, I don't think they, I think they've kind of come around, like in the last couple of years, they've, they've come around to, to having boundaries a little bit with this stuff, you know, where I, I was sort of like, Hey, this is my thing and I'm doing it this way. And they were like, all right, I guess this is our response to that. And after that, that, that kind of was, that kind of was when they stopped being like a parent child relationship and then like a parent adult child relationship. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Uh, it, it sort of went from like, you must do things this way to, uh, all right, that's what you're doing. Great. Or mm, that doesn't sound good, you know, but, but, but a lot less of that, like, uh, I don't know. They took their fingers out of the pie a little bit, if you know what I mean. I do. And if, have you and your wife talked yeah. about if you do have kids, how much are you going to raise them with Jewish traditions in mind? I don't know. We talked about it a little bit. I, you know, I think it'll probably enter that in the same extent as it does the rest of our life, which is just barely a little bit, you know, uh-huh. my wife holds on to some of the old kosher. Like she doesn't keep kosher. She doesn't make me keep kosher, but she still doesn't eat pork. Like, right. She eats shellfish. She doesn't eat pork. Right. Um, that's like, you know, that's her line. So, and I think to her and to, to me, to an extent, the Jewish identity and the Jewish community is, still something we like so i think to that extent we'll keep it going with our kids but i don't think at least not for me i don't think i'm going to be like oh i do it this way but my kid's going to go to hebrew school and this and all that it's like no like i care about it a very little bit and i will make it clear to my kid that it's important to the exact degree that i care about it which is a little bit wow so this was like an intense life-defining this was a (laughs) life-defining journey for you can I ask a very ignorant oh, yeah, question? Absolutely. Can I ask a very ignorant yeah. question that I know is ignorant? But it's yeah. just, I mean, I feel like you and I are being very honest with each other. I know I'm a good person. I am aware this is a question. I, you don't really get to ask this question. <laughs> so you said you used to wear the you hat. You can ask me, Chris. You said you used to wear a hat. Oh, yeah. Is that like one of those mm-hmm. big Russian-looking hats? So the black, just a black, like, fedora type thing. A black fedora, right. Because you do, because, you know, there's a... It's an area of Williamsburg in New York. I don't know how familiar you are. There is a, 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 a an yep. area of Williamsburg in particular that's still very orthodox where you see uh, people. And you see you see more sort of like, from what I, you see the fedoras, you see skull caps, and you see more sort of like maybe circular fur style caps as well. Yes, that that is called a strimal. Strimal. Um, is that something, that's not just yeah. a fashion choice? That's something that signifies a certain status? Uh, not a status per se, more of a, that's a certain type of very sub, sub, sub sect of Orthodox Judaism and not one, one, you know, so to give you the, the taxonomy or whatever, there's Orthodox Judaism. And then within that there's Hasidic Judaism uh-huh. and within Hasidic Judaism, there's a ton of different, um, uh, subdivisions who basically follow different particular rabbis as their, as their branch of, of Hasidic Judaism. And they don't disagree with each other necessarily. They just sort of have different philosophies on life, right? And some, but not all, of those subgroups wear the strimal. They wear this sort of long black coat, which is called a bekisha. A bekisha. You know, they, they sort of wear these traditional, basically they just wear the traditional clothes to separate themselves. It's, it's, that is the main purpose of those things. It's, it, it gives them a... To demonstrate a, their level or their allegiance. Yeah, they say, I'm Jewish. I'm not ashamed. I follow the, you know, I follow our ancestors and I'm going to dress like them. Now, did you grow up in a community that, you, you clearly grew up in a community that was largely Orthodox, but was it a community that also interacted with the non-Jewish world? Like in Williamsburg, I know 
the residents of that neighborhood, I drive through that neighborhood. I know residents of that neighborhood work in areas of the city that are not as devoted by any means as people who are wearing strimals. Did you also yeah. have that on your, in your daily life? Yeah. So the, but the, the, you know, the, the people who lived in the community I grew up in, you know, they went to work at work where most of the time you're in a, in a pretty diverse environment, but on a personal life level, there wasn't a lot of cross pollination. It was mostly Jews hanging out with Jews. And what, and here's my ignorant question. Go ahead. When the eyes of the non-devoted are upon you and you're wearing a ceremonial outfit, how does that feel? So I have a very, I have half of the answer to that, right? Because I haven't worn, I haven't gone full decked out situation, right? Okay. Um, But I have done, I have done the uh, walking to synagogue um, in a black suit with a tie and and a skull cap. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Sabbath through uh, a neighborhood that doesn't um, have enough Jews in it for it to be totally normal. And uh, it's a bit weird. I'll say that. Yeah, it's a bit weird. You feel a little bit isolated, but you you are sort of trained to embrace that. And it's not like you come home and you're 13 and the first time you're self-aware and you go, oh my gosh, everyone's staring at me. And your parents go, that's good. And enjoy that. You know, it's not that. You're brought up from childhood to know that you're separate and different and there aren't too many Jews, you know, on a percentage level, right? It's one or 2% of the U S population. So you're brought up. It's, it's, especially if you grow up with it, like I did, it's just kind of normal because you've always been different in that way. And does it, does it create, I would imagine. Oh, sure. What's that? No, please. As you would imagine what? Well, I was going to say, I was going to compare my form of minority to another one, but it doesn't seem appropriate, so I'm not going to do it. But it's fair. I mean, it's fair. You are saying you are a minority, and in particular, a level of devotion within that minority that wears uh, clothing that demonstrates that minority status. I yeah. was, I was going to ask you, does that create a sort of, uh, ad- does it create in any way like an us versus them or an adversarial feeling um, that you can it sense? It can? Mm-hmm. It can. And luckily that feeling never was, I never internalized that, which I'm so thankful and grateful for, but I saw that a lot. Um, and, and you know, there's bad people in every group. So I don't want to, I, I, I try really hard not to say like Jews are hateful people because that is an inappropriate, ignorant thing to say. Right. And that's certainly not how I feel, but there were people who I was around or whom it turned into an adversarial situation or an us versus them situation, or what's maybe I think even more common is sort of a care for your own philosophy where people say, right. Oh no, there was a horrible accident. How many Jews died? Right. Oh no, nine 11 happened. Were, were, how many Jews were, how many Jews died in nine? Where the immediate oh, concern is, with the community know. might invite the, might invite the speculation or the perception that it's called yeah. to outsiders. Cause I've noticed when well, you say care for that, our right? own, Absolutely, everybody does that. Absolutely. And there's also, yeah. I know in the Hasidic community in Williamsburg, I actually really am fascinated by uh, that neighborhood I find so fascinating and beautiful. It's a piece of New York that I think a lot of neighborhoods used to be defined by whatever ethnic group um, inhabited them. And that neighborhood, I think, is one that has held on to that status more than most. I find it really fascinating. And I've read things like when you say take care of our own, that extends to the level where 
that neighborhood has its own police force. There's an actual police force uh-huh. separate from the NYPD. It has a name that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But members of that community do not call 911. They call that police force. And I, I've read tons of stories about, you said some of the devotion to particular rabbis. I've read stories about where can, that can become cultish enough that there's rabbis that really become something beyond Judaism where it's like, a, like I've read, I read about one rabbi who's, who, who was become, he became known that I guess in the Hasidic community, women cannot get divorces. Men can, women cannot unless granted permission. And there's a rabbi who became known as a guy who would basically beat up guys to get them to give a divorce. <laughs> he was, it was almost like a yeah, mafia. There's almost like a mafia situation in some level of yeah. the Hasidic community. I find that completely fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Like private police forces and mafia style justice. That is an amazing level of, uh, of, like an insider specific culture that totally coexists in like a major metropolitan area. That's one of the most fascinating things in New York city to me. Yeah. The community I grew up in was a smaller, you know, a little bit more suburban than New York city, but I was in the city limits of a, of an American's major American city. And uh, we had the same deal. There was a, a particular Jewish, uh, 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 not law enforcement cause they can't be that, but yeah, you know, defense, type people or whatever that come around and almost like a vigilante a, squad. service almost like a vigilante yeah. yes that is incredible that's one of the coolest and things in the world to me <laughs> it is until like they get themselves in trouble because you know there have been controversies that i don't know enough about to speak about where then those groups are then accused of committing hate crimes towards other groups. So it's, it, you know, that's why Batman doesn't, isn't a good idea in real right. life. Right. Cause right. How, how does Batman decide who he gets to beat up? Yeah. It's real. It's the real life example of, of vigilante superhero style justice. And it's not, there's some yeah. aspects in which I think it's amazing. And there's some aspects in which it's uh, really uh, definitely has a dark side. So I want to, th- I tell you what, this was to me, I, I, from my level, I want to thank you for sharing so much because that's a really fascinating conversation about a process that some people have been through of leaving <laughs> a faith that I've always wondered how that goes. And you've been so open and, it, and so open about the culture and the process of leaving it. So thank you for that. That's really amazing that you shared all that. And this is definitely, out of all these podcasts, this is a conversation that's gotten me so excited. Usually it's some 22-year-old guy yeah. who's like, uh, stressed out because I can't, I, I don't I, my, I don't think my improv group likes me. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. We just got. Well, Chris, remember that I called you. I called you with a story about a passport. So, so, so yeah. So you get. Yeah, so you print out your plane. Tell you where I came from. Oh God, we only have so I much came time. In with Dude, we're so close so to death. We have. we have like a four minutes, and I just realized we said this whole thing about how the passport community people really might have been listening <laughs> this whole time. Want to know how to get a passport? And we just went on a forty-minute-long sidetrack about the Jewish faith. <laughs> And leaving the Jewish faith, and it was beautiful. But yes, okay, so you print out your tickets. You print out your tickets. I print out my tickets. I print out my, my old passport. Now, remember I said I'm married. I changed my name when I got married, and I thought the, the website didn't say, you need proof of name change if your name changed. But I said, I bet I'm going to need this because my childhood passport was under a different name than my current name on my driver's Smart. So you don't have a birth certificate, and no. you have changed your name. You are the nightmare for the pap- passport office. You are, yeah. making, you are backing yourself uh-huh. into a huge corner. Yes. So I bring my passport from childhood. I bring my marriage license and I go to sleep for like six hours. I get up, I drive three hours to this other city. I get to the city. I buy myself some macaroons for breakfast 
I, macaroons. Uh, macaroons. You're, you're right? still the in French touch. One. Oh, the French um, ones. I was going to say, you're still in touch with your Jewish faith. Through <laughs> mac- but no, it's macarons. <laughs> it's the European version. Okay, great, great, great. Yeah. Uh, I, I go over to the, um, this beautiful, gorgeous old city building. I get in line. I wait for half an hour till I finally get through. I finally get to the receptionist, like the pre-passport person person. And she looks at my passport photos and says, these aren't good enough. Oh, no. These are badly taken passport photos. I can't tell you where to go get passport photos, but if you go talk to the guards, they might have an idea of where you can go get passport photos. Okay, so, so everything, has gone guards. everything has gone wrong. Yeah, everything. None of your paperwork's in order and you have bad pictures. Great. So you go up to the guards, two and a half minutes. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, God. And the guards say, do you want the cheap ones or the expensive ones? So I'm like, dude, I don't have time for this. We've only got two minutes left to tell this story. Give me the, what's the difference? He says, the cheap ones are a little further away. I said, fine, give me the cheap ones. I walk down to the cheap ones. I get to the passport picture store. There's a chain on the door. The store is closed. What are you talking about? Okay. So I stand around. How it's does, clo- oh, closed. God, I might There's not chain, It's like end. a big metal chain. Talk, talk, talk. I might not hear the end. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I'm sitting there. I don't know what to do. I'm sort of looking around. I see a guy over on the other end of this, this uh, atrium sort of walking towards me. I'm like, I hope this is the guy from the store. Turns out it is. He says, passport. I go, yep. He opens the store, takes my pictures, gives me the pictures. I walk back over to the passport agency. I, I finally get through. I wait another half hour. I get through to the guy. I go, here's my information. I got to fly to Canada on Monday. It's Friday right now. What can you do for me? And the guy goes, well, if you got to get to Canada on Monday, I'll get you your passport today. I go, what? You can do that? He's like, yeah, be back at noon. So I drove to my grandparents' house, had pancakes for an hour, drove back, and I got my passport. You even, I was in Canada Monday night. You even ate pancakes. You flaunted it. You said, I have one. The government has lost. I'm going to go eat pancakes while they make my passport. I am going to eat chocolate chip pancakes at my grandparents' kitchen table. That's right. Incredible. I'm going to say two things. One, it's legitimately terrifying yeah. that a person with no birth certificate and a name change and bad pictures can get a passport <laughs> in a day. It's terrifying when you think about security laws and you think about terrorism and so much of it has been travel related. Absolutely <laughs> chilling that that can be done because if you can do that, someone could absolutely fake that process. True or false? <laughs> I would say true. Absolutely terrifying. They have to work hard to do it, though. At the end of the day, that is a scary story on many levels. I will also (laughs) say I hope you use that passport to travel internationally. And I hope when you do travel internationally, you eat nothing but Auntie Anne pretzel dogs and you wash them down with Mavosho wine. (laughs) Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Absolutely great to talk to you. In the last 30 seconds, I want to say thank you for being so open, so honest, having such a great sense of humor and letting people in on stories that they might not be able to hear um, in an honest human way, if you hadn't stepped up, you answered so many questions I've always had. Thank you. It was so eye-opening for me. Chris, it was an honor. Look at that. We gave you all of it. If you were listening for the the passport stuff, sorry about the 40-minute rabbit hole we went down about an intense departure from a, a religious situation. You got your passport stuff at the end of the day. Anyway, thank you for helping us get there. Greta Cohn, the Reverend John Delore. Thank you, Shellshag, for the intro music. Guys, support Shellshag. I always say it. Also support this show. You can do so by subscribing at iTunes, rating, reviewing. All those things help more than you guys can imagine. Help spread word of what we're doing out there in the world. Speaking of out there in the world, I go out in the world sometimes. ChrisGeth.com for my touring dates. TheChrisGethardShow.com for info on the TV show. There's new episodes hitting the TV, hitting YouTube. All the info is out there. Hope you enjoy it. Beautiful Anonymous. We'll be back next time. Here you say, face to face.
How about a little sneak peek on next time on Beautiful Anonymous? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just like shaking with rage right now. I am losing good track of which element I'm most infuriated by. Okay, but... good. This is good because much like the Star Wars movies you're familiar with, I am the Emperor guiding you into that rage. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And there's so many taxi driver references I could make, but they'd go right over your head. They'll fall on deaf ears. Yeah. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. 